What are some of the common mistakes that business makes when trying to differentiate themselves that you may have seen? And how can you avoid them? Here's two things, Hakeem, that we want to do to be successful as business owners and to stand up for competitors. Two things. Number one, stop selling your product before you understand their problem. Yeah. Stop selling the product before you understand the customer's problem. That's number one. Number two, think ahead about what problems they're going to have and then sell that solution. Welcome to the Hands-On Business Podcast, where else are you going to come to get tips, tricks, and advice on growing your business? As you know, what people tend to love about this podcast is that it is a place where you can hear real business leaders discussing systems, methodologies, and strategies that they have used to help them catapult growth in their business. So I'm your podcast host, Hakeem Adebiyi, and I've grown several small businesses to multi-million pound enterprises and noticed that there wasn't really a place that focused on where I was, i.e. growing a small business. All of the content that seemed to be out there was about big business and often just a lot of theory and no practical implementable advice, which is exactly why I set up this podcast. So take a listen, enjoy and start implementing the strategies that you hear on the podcast. Happy listening. One of the key things any business needs to do if they want to become a brand leader is stand out from the crowd. iPhone did it, Amazon did it, Tesla did it, as have many others. Now, I give those specific examples only because everyone knows who they are and may not have heard of Vernacare, Kiavi, BBD, Perfect Storm and many others that I've worked with. They've also separated themselves from their competitors. The point simply is that standing above your competitors is a critical component of building a successful company. So today, I want to delve into how you stand out for your competitors with Mr. Vincent Fitz, sometimes called the Attitude Amplifier and also of Lead... Uh, yes, exactly. And also of Lead Out Loud. So welcome, Vincent. Very good to have you on. It is an honor, Hakeem. Thanks for allowing me to be here. My pleasure. So normally I start with a little story about, you know, you telling me about your, your journey, which we'll get into. But since we're talking about standing out from the crowd, you've been counted as one of the top 1% in speaking professionals. So you've obviously stood out from the crowd. So I thought let's start out with a real life case study before we get all theoretical. What do you do to stand out from your competitors? You have to embrace your authenticity, Hakeem. One of the things that I've always been is an energetic person. And there are certain speakers that stand behind the microphone or they'll stand behind the podium. Or if they're doing virtual, they'll be very rigid and conform. That's not who I am. So whenever I am asked to give a speech or a presentation with virtual or in person, I'll ask them, is it okay if I move around? Is it okay if I get a little loud? Is it okay if I incorporate laughter and energy? Is it okay if other people get involved in the presentation? And they're, what? Yeah, yeah. Now, I do that to let them know that when I come across that way, it is part of my authenticity. So one of the best ways to stand out is to embrace who you truly are. Because if you're not that energetic person, don't fake it. And if you're like me and you're an upbeat person, don't try to, good morning, everyone, how are you? Because the authenticity is going to show whether you want it to or not. So one of the best ways to stand out is to stand up and be yourself. Excellent. That's a really, that's a really good bit of advice, I think. And, and, and actually, it's, a, it's an interesting piece of advice because when I speak to people who talk about leadership, that's one of the key components of leadership is actually being authentic. And because people, you know, people connect with people, people buy from people. So the more that you are yourself, right. then you, you almost self-select the sort of clients that you want to work with. So I think that's important. And then, as I said on, in the intro, you count yourself as one of the top 1% speaking professionals. So how have you defined... I still feel like I'm like, I don't count myself as that. The, the National Speakers Association and eSpeak, they, they, they say it, which I'm honored. But in my mind, Hakeem, I'm still trying to get better every day. Excellent, which, which is what we should all be doing. So in terms of when they say you're in the top 1%, how have they defined that? Because that's really interesting. Because obviously, where anyone, when you're, ever, you're speaking to someone at the top 1% of their game, you know, we need to understand, you know, how's that defined and how did you get there? 
It is crazy how you feel like well, it's five or six, seven billion people in the world. Yeah, exactly. If you're the top one percent of ping pong players, that's still impressive. <laughs> that, that, yes, that, exactly. That's based on really three dynamics: professional governing bodies. They look at the number of times that you're being paid to speak. Then they look at the feedback that you receive from those who have paid you. Then they look at the amount of money that you generate over that time to show that you not only have a successful business, but it's also a sustainable business where prominent people are paying you on a regular basis to bring value to the companies and to the organizations. And they use that algorithmic metric to determine who are the ones that are doing it consistently. And in November, it will be 28 years that we've been doing this. Blimey. So, a couple of questions that come out of that. So why are you in the top 1%? Yeah, why are you in the top 1%? And what are the people who are in the, say, let's let's say top 10%, because top 10% is still pretty good of anything in the world. So Pretty good. Yeah, so those people that are in the top 10%, what do they need to do to get to the top 1%? So much of being in that small percentage, it's just a matter of some small things that those top 1%ers do on a regular basis. None of them are sexy. None of them are cool. They're just things that make you stand out and there are things that make a difference. Here are a couple of examples, Hakeem. The first is those top one percenters, the continual learners. We don't sit back and rest on our laurels and look at, okay, I have this degree or I've earned this much money or I have this many awards. We're constantly learning, trying new things, trying new approaches, going to different classes, going to conferences. So the top one percenters were continual learners. The second thing is the top one percent were coachable. We have mentors. We have those who have poured into us. We are able to be critiqued and to receive the criticism and incorporate it better. So if you are a continual learner and you're able to receive criticism and be coached, you will continue to improve. And whether you get the top one percent or not, those two dynamics are the things that we all need to do to stand out from our competitors, I think. So the one thing that I really picked out of that was about continual learning, actually, and actually ensuring that you're getting feedback and learning from the feedback. And actually, I used to have a, uh, a manager who, who had, he, he seemed to have a million quotes. But one of, one of the quotes that I really loved was, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. because, you know, Lots of people, and I would argue probably more unsuccessful people, get to a position and think, yeah, I've made it. I now know everything. I can't learn anything. And th- I think once you get to that position, you've stalled in your, in whether you, whatever you're doing, you've stalled. Because, you know, there's always, even, and it's not always somebody who is better than you at that thing that can give you feedback. You should take feedback from wherever it comes. If it's valid, take it on board work with it and try and improve. So moving back a bit then, because that tells you where you are now, you're 1% in the top 1% of speakers. You're, you're obviously constantly learning. You know, I've seen you speak. I've seen the energy that you bring to the room, which makes a difference oh. to, to everyone who's listening. So just tell me a bit more about your journey. You've been doing it for 20 year, 28 years. So how, you know, how, how did that come about and how have you progressed over that 28 years? Because I'm assuming in 28 years ago, you weren't in the top top 1%. No, I, I don't know. I didn't even know it was a real job back then. <laughs> Man, to speak, my first speech ever that I was paid for was in 1996. And I was asked to be a representative of an undergraduate chapter of the 100 Black Men of America called the Collegiate 100. And when I was graduating from my bachelor's at Middle Tennessee State University, I had the honor of being the inaugural president of the Collegiate 100. And I was asked to give a speech to a group of successful African-American men about the importance of donating funds so we could go and help local communities and the youth. So I was asked to fire them up, talk about money, talk about donation, talk about giving back. I had no clue what I was going to say. I was young, I had no experience. Like, why would they listen to me? But so they asked me as president to give that speech. And I was able to get them motivated. I talk about how important it was for me to go to a good school, how important it was for me to have mentors that poured into me. And I let them know that they have that chance to do the same. I got a standard ovation. It was a roaring crowd. And at the end, a gentleman shook my hand, Hakeem, and he asked me, would I come to Jamaica and give that speech to his group of bankers? And I'm thinking, 
I have no money. I got to pay for the airline ticket, hotel. I don't even know how to book a flight to Jamaica. So I asked him, I asked him, I came, well, what does that take? And he asked me, I came, question that changed my life. He said, well, what's your fee? You need me to go? I realized I may have something here. <laughs> and you've not and you've not looked back. So, so based in based in on the fact that we want to talk about separating yourself from your competitors. So you've started now. You you you've obviously got a job. You don't really know anything about the job. You're going over to speak. So how do you then build that into a business whereby people are paying you as opposed to somebody else? How are you separating yourself from all those other people? Because, you know, you go on LinkedIn, you go anywhere. If I, and and I've, I've booked speakers before and you go onto these, like, these sites where they've got speakers. How have you separated yourself so people are picking you and not somebody else? It's the platform skills combined with the business skills, Hakeem. Yeah. So many professionals especially small business owners and entrepreneurs, we're really good at our craft. You may be a great speaker. You may be great at making hamburgers. You may be great at doing hair. You're really good at whatever you do. The part that keeps us from going to that level that we all aspire to is not our skill of the profession, but it's our understanding of the business, how to prepare invoices, how to handle a dissatisfied customer, how to properly follow up with what you say you're going to do within a timely manner, how to keep your website, your business cards, even your voicemail, how to keep your bills paid. These are the things that are not taught to us. So if you are really good at your skill, you may focus on getting better at that skill and the business side suffers. To separate yourself from competitors, make sure that your business acumen and your professional services are on par with excellence because if one suffers over the other, the entire business is going to fail. Okay, so that's a per- I mean, and obviously we're going to talk about that today. Um, so, so- Everybody can bake biscuits, but do you know how to buy flour from the right location to get your cost low to make more biscuits for the same amount of flour? That's the business side. Yeah, and that, exactly. And that's the question, and we're going to go through some of those. So how do you get better at that? Because, you know, obviously, you'll come to people like the, the, this podcast, which has people on there talking about business and talking about how to improve things and talking specifically about specific actions. But where would you go? I'm a new business owner. I'm starting. I think I'm very good at coaching, mentoring, but I don't really know much about business. Where, where do I start? Here's where you need to start, Hakeem. Every business owner or, or entrepreneur you're going to have to make a decision. And it's in one or two categories of how you want to go forward. You're either going to make mistakes or you're going to get a mentor. It's one or the other. There's no third way. Now, if you do the mistakes, which I did, you do things that are unconventional. You are going to lose a lot of money and you're going to waste a lot of time. And you'll think that you have to do it all by yourself and you're going to get frustrated. If you do it the smart way, which is what I teach people now, get a mentor, get some help. Ask someone who is doing what you were doing, ask them for advice. Take them out to conversations, pay them for their knowledge. You want to get those mentors because it's going to reduce your learning curve. People say, well, I don't have the money for a mentor. You're going to, it's going to cost you time and money no matter what you do. So you can waste time making your own mistakes and lose a whole lot of them and a whole lot of time or find a mentor, find someone, go to a program, go to a small business chamber, go to the business, uh, the chamber of commerce, go to a business development center, go to an incubator, hire someone that is a successful business person that might not be in your industry. Learn the fundamentals of how to run a business. They may be an accountant. But hang around them. They may be in construction. They may sell shoes. They may be a real estate agent. But hang around those professionals who are doing the things that are keeping them successful and hang around them. Don't make the mistakes, but get a mentor. That's what's going to separate you from greatness and reduce your learning curve. Okay, and and then just moving on from that, because obviously one of the things that they will inevitably talk to you about is understanding your market, understanding competitors. If you want to stand out from your competitors, I'm assuming you need to understand your competitors' strengths and weaknesses. So how would you go about that? 
how do you, well, that, I mean, I'll use you as an example, and then we'll talk about some other businesses. How do you, how did you understand what you were doing and what other people are doing? Or, or did you, or did you not bother? Did you just focus on you? No, I, I didn't focus on me and I didn't focus on my competitors. That's a misconception that is being taught in the business world, Hakeem, is to separate yourself from your competitors. Know what your competitors are doing. Be different than your competitors. How to stand out from your competitors. If you focus on your competitors, you're going to go broke. <laughs> if they're your competitors, they are already ahead of you. So it's, it's kind of like if you're the younger brother, if you have an older brother, you will never catch up with them in age. <laughs> never, right? You will never be equal. To, so instead of focusing on your competitors, the way to stand out from your competitors, Hakeem, you ready, Hakeem? Yep, I'm ready. Focus on your client's needs. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your competitors are doing. Find out who are your clients. Listen to them. Find out what they are needing. Find out the problems of your competitors. To give you an example, Hakeem, one of my clients was in need of having their information technology specialists be more effective in their presentation skills. These are really technical people, super smart, that were not used to giving presentations to non-technical people. You with me, Akeem? Yeah. They wanted some type of program that helped them be more effective in front of others. So they were taking all these online classes and these coin, like how to sell vacuum cleaners, how to sell fruit, and how to sell cars. These were IT professionals that were selling software to people who didn't know what a motherboard was. <laughs> I didn't care what my competitors were doing, all those other national industries. I went to the person who was needing, and I said, what are the things that you're wanting your people to have? They said, Vincent, they got to just relax. They got to look friendly. They have to be able to answer questions. So I said, would it be okay if I met with them and I asked them, what did they think of their fears? What did they think of their challenges? And they said, you want to talk to them before you speak to them? I said, yeah. And I was able to find out that most of them were frustrated that other people didn't value technology. They were frustrated that nobody could ask them articulate questions. So instead of trying to do what my competitors were doing, giving coined, canned, prepackaged information, I customized it. And I only was able to do that by listening to my customers, not my competitors. Okay, so so are we saying that we should not take any notice of the competitors or that they should be deep <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, so I was, so are we saying that we shouldn't speak, we shouldn't think about what they're doing at all, or we should just deprioritize that and elevate the needs of your customer over and above what your competitors are doing? Because if you elevate the need of the customer and your your target group, then you automatically stand out from the competitors. Let me ask you a question, Akeem. If you go to Burger King, right? Can we agree that they have a sandwich that has meat in the middle and bread on both sides? Correct, yes. What's that sandwich called at Burger King? Uh, well, it depends which one, but uh, a, do a double whopper is what I like. <laughs> you got it. Now, yeah. that's their signature burger, right? Yeah. It's bread, meat, bread. If you go to McDonald's, and ask for a Whopper, what's going to happen at McDonald's? Well, they'll probably throw you out, but they'll give you... They certainly won't be giving you anything. <laughs> exactly. They'll probably throw you out. Exactly. Because what do they call their sandwich with bread, meat, and bread? What do they call their sandwich at McDonald's? Quarter pound of Big Mac. Well, a Big Mac, exactly. Now, if you look at your competitors, you're seeing they have a signature name for their sandwich. They have a signature name for their sandwich. Now, if I'm a small business owner and I want to open up a burger place, I can't copy them and say Whopper Plus or the bigger Big Mac. I can't do that. But if I know what my competitors are doing, I know my clients don't want to say, I want a hamburger. They want the Hakeem Special. They want the Hakeem yeah. Club. So you can look at your competitors and see what they are doing, but you still want to focus on what can you do to stand out by being aware of what the competition is doing, but still focus on your customers first. Does that make sense, Hakeem? No, it makes perfect sense. And I think it, it again comes back to that authenticity that you said right at the beginning. 
Because I can't, there was another person who said that uh, their mother used to always say to them, be yourself because everybody else is taken. Uh, and that's true. Now, there's a catch to that, Hakeem. There's a catch to that. Be yourself unless you suck. <laughs> That, yeah, that that well, yes. That, be, somebody, be, be, be a better version. Well, well, yeah, exactly. But it, but it comes back to the, those two things you've said because you talked about authenticity, which is about being yourself. But then right. the next thing that you said there was about improving yourself. So yeah. if you do suck, then you then have to realize, all right, well, me being myself is not good enough to get to where I want to get to. So I need mm-hmm. to change some aspects of myself and enhance right. the things that I'm good that actually people like. And, and suppress the things that people don't like, so that, as right. you said, you become a better version of yourself. So, so I mean, I was going to ask you about, you know, because people always talk about communicating the unique selling proposition, and you've kind of answered that already, because you're talking about authenticity, improvement, and you're talking about understanding the needs. So when you talk about understanding the needs, obviously in your business, you, you, you're going to do some speaking. So obviously you're going to then speak to the customers before you do your presentation so that you can bespoke it and make sure it's relevant and that separates you up. If you've seen other businesses, what are things that other businesses can do that they can sort of like say, well, actually, I want to understand what my customers need so I can separate myself. What should I be doing? You need to have policies in place, Hakeem, whether you have a small business with just you or maybe a, a, a larger business where you have 10, 20, 100 people. You need policies in place that are benefiting the customer. You need to have strategies that you implement across the board that everyone has a mutual understanding of here's how we do things. You get an example, Hakeem. There is a small business in Chattanooga that I love to frequent, and they make a certain type of international food that you just can't get anywhere else. It's family-owned, and the standing joke is that if you show up, they're going to be closed, so you have to wait. If they open, they're going to open late, which is going to throw you behind schedule. Whatever they have on the menu, ignore it because they're probably out of it. Then if they do have what you want and they're open, it's going to take you about 45, 55 minutes to get it. Then if they're able to fix it, it's going to cost almost twice as much as a place down the street. Hakeem, these are people who look like us. And all now, that, that, it, I, I, I'm going out on a limb here because I'm a Nigerian. I'm a Nigerian. It's not a Nigerian, it's not a Nigerian restaurant, is it, by any chance? Because it sounds very much like a it sounds like very much like a lot of Nigerian restaurants that I go to. It's Caribbean Hakeem. <laughs> but the but the, the joke is the people of all race and colors, you're gonna have to deal with one of those. Now here's the thing yeah. food is so good, we put up with it. Yes. Now, over time, they're starting to experience that they can't keep with that policy. They have nothing in place about here are our peak times. Here is the food we need to have. Here's how you pre-order. Here's who is updating our website. If we open at 11, we need to be in the restaurant by at least 10. So these are just standard policies. You with me, Akeem? Yeah. yeah. Let, me give you, let me give you an example on the other side. I am like, now, notice how I did not mention that restaurant's name because I adore them. But if I'm saying something super great about you, like Publix, I'll mention the name. Yeah. Publix, to me, is the Chick-fil-A of grocery stores. Sugar, sugar. <laughs> and I, I was looking for, I was looking for flaxseed to put in my smoothies. Now I'd never had it before. I'm like, where in the heck is that in the bean section? Is it a fruit? I didn't know where to find it. I go in and I'm obviously lost. And there's a person who's up on a ladder putting up stock, and they see him doing that. No, you don't know which aisle to go to. They say, "Excuse me, sir, what are you looking for?" And I said, I'm looking to find flaxseed. They climb down off the ladder and they say, come with me, sir. I'll take you to not aisle seven, not over there. Come with me, sir. I'll take you to it. I said to them, I came. No, no. I see you're up there. You're working. I want to keep you from doing your job. Hakeem, they said, sir, you are my job. Oh, <laughs> Hakeem. <laughs> my money please now yeah. look at and and 
when they said, this is part of our orientation, sir, we're trained to do this. I've gone to all the stores and they don't do that. So when I look at that, that, that Caribbean restaurant that has great food, but they have some flaws in their service, I question it when I recommend somebody to go to there, I got to go through my mind, mm, do I mention them? But I will drive past five stores to go to a public hakeem because that's part of their policy and their strategy. You want to stand out, you've got to have policies that are values to the customer and make that universal. That's how you stand out against your competitors. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and there's many examples. I mean, I, I remember, and I told the story that when I first, I got my first job and I was looking for a suit and I had a training course on the Monday. Um, and so it was late Saturday night. I'd never had a, owned a proper suit before. It was just straight out of university. And I went to a shop and I, and I went in there and they were quite rude. Didn't really, oh. it, it was like, oh, they're looking at the watch. Oh, yeah, well, we're closing in 10 minutes. I'm thinking, okay. So I thought, I'm not buying from you. I went to another shop called Reese. It's a, it's a UK store. And the guy there was, was so pleasant, even though he'd five minutes of clothing. He said, all right, we'll close the shop, but you need the suit. Don't worry. I, I left there. I, bought two, I think I bought two suits out of there. So they got quite a lot of money out of me. And I shopped there for suits for probably the next 10 years just I because know. of that experience. Just because of that experience. That experience. Now, how do you measure the place that didn't treat you right? How much money they lost compared to who else did they treat that way? Yes. Well, and, and that's it. What's the policy of we have, we close in five minutes, but a customer shows up? How do you treat them? What's the policy if a person might not have the budget to afford what we have? How do you treat them? So they won your business with kindness. With respect, these are the things that we need to have in part of our businesses to separate us because most don't have it, Akeem, and they won your business because they did. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because on my last, last podcast, one of the things we were talking about was values and how do you in integrate those values into a business and exactly what you're talking about. Because that Publix, that's obviously a company value that they then put into the business and and. You know, whenever we talk about values, I'm talking about values and behaviors because lots of companies have values, but the behaviors don't reflect the values. They don't, they don't and I, they don't lie. They don't lie. <laughs> exactly. Your customer's right, unless I'm tired and I want to go home early. Uh, well, exactly. And uh, the, the example I always give, which is the most stark example of it, is Enron had etched into their um, into their floor plan in the, in in the in the I think the it's actually outside and also in the reception. One of their values was integrity. Enron integrity you know and we know what happened to them so so obviously their values that they stated were not what their behaviors were show, were being shown and i think that's a really important thing because if you have the value stated and then you are ensuring that actually the people who work with you for you or if it's just yourself you're living right. those then you're automatically standing out from i would say 95 percent of people who have values but don't really do anything about it. They don't. They don't have behaviours respect it. So in, in this modern age, because it's it's really easy to see how people such as yourself or publics who are really you know face to face facing. But you know now that lots of businesses are online, lots of people are doing things and implementing complex marketing strategies. What are the sort of things that Ed, as a business? you should be doing to market yourself and to market your business, which will make you stand out because we've got the authenticity, we've got the self-improvement, we've got the values. How do you get that across to people so that they're going to come to you in the first place? You've got to speak the language of your audience. You've got to know who your customers are, Hakeem. One of the mistakes that small business owners make, why percentage-wise, about 82%, Based on which, which study you look you look you look at, whether it's small business owners or entrepreneurs or Forbes, about eighty to eighty five percent of small businesses go out of business in the first fifteen months. They don't even last two years, and the reason is because they are lacking specificity. I'll give you an example. One of the things that you need to do is to understand the language of your audience of your customers. I was given a speech to a group of sales professionals to help them improve their sales pitches I team. And I kept using the word customers so frequently it became ingrained with my presentation. Someone in that audience was a member of the Board of Education at their home state 
and ask me to come give that same speech to them, which I did. And I didn't take the time to customize my message. And at the Board of Education, they don't use the term customers. They use administrators or staff. Then I learned that one of my audiences are country clubs and yacht clubs. They don't say staff or clients. They use the term members. Then when I started speaking to hospitals and healthcare facilities, they would use the term guest or clients or patients. Then I started talking to nonprofit organizations and they use the term donors or sponsors. So I would just change those one or two words based on my audience. And I would say to them, I have a speech on how to maximize your customers. I would say, I have a speech to maximize how to engage your members, how to engage your sponsors, how to engage your students. And just that one word change had them thinking he knows who we are. He's speaking our language. Now, it took me some mistakes. Remember, I, I didn't get mentors as early as I should have. I made mistakes. But I learned just that one that one adjustment in your marketing, in your sales, what you put in your Facebook, what you put on your websites, what you put in your resumes. These are the things that make you stand out where you're speaking their language. So you're not so general, you're more specific. That's what's going to separate you from your competitors is speaking their language. Okay, excellent. And and, and I always like, because we've, we've talked about a couple of examples of, of people who do it well, publics are doing it well, the other, <laughs> the, the restaurant isn't doing that well and that we all know quite a few of those. Um, so <laughs> and staying in line, I'll, you know, if I got to be back by two o'clock, I got to get there at 12. Yeah, well, yes, yes, yes. And I'm actually, it's unfortunate because, as I said, there's lots of Nigerian restaurants in the UK that are well renowned for right. actually poor service. And the thing is, and as you said, the ones that do stand out are not, not even necessarily giving you fantastic service, they're just giving you significantly better service than the majority. Man, when the bar is low, it's not that hard to go above it. Man, exactly. So, so let, let's let's take an example of like that, but let's take a real life example. Do you know? Because lots of people think, "Oh well, I'm not doing well. There's nothing I can do about it. I might just go and get another job." Have you got any examples of people who've reinvented themselves, who have been not standing out from the crowd, who have then taken your advice or somebody else's advice, got a mentor, and then all of a sudden? started to move stepwise upwards and upwards and upwards. Absolutely. Let me give you a personal example that really gets home to me, Hakeem. There is a woman who is named Ola, and she is owner of Ladybug Exterminating Company. This was the first and at that time the only African-American-owned pest control operating company in Southeast United States. Now, remember the stereotype that, that you see like the, the in the old days where uh, the, the wife in the pearl necklace hop on a, a chair to avoid the mouse going by? Well, this lady runs to the mouse. She she, she likes <laughs> She loves cutting bugs and cockroaches. <laughs> so she wanted to separate herself in a predominantly male-oriented industry with the Caucasian males. So there were women in the business, but they weren't owners and there weren't people of color. And people kept referring to her when she worked for another pest control company. She was the only female. So they called her the bug lady. She was able to take that marketing and differentiate herself. And she started referring to herself as the lady bug. So she named her business Ladybug Exterminating Company. And part of her brand is that she was able to purchase the cars of the model, the Volkswagen Beetles, and had them all decorated like giant ladybugs. She even has a, a bet that if you ever see her in public without wearing a ladybug, she'll give you $100. And she is now in her 48th year in business, and never paid that. And that is a way that she has separated herself from competitors. And she's won every major award that you can win, whether you're an African-American, female, or small business owner. And, Hakeem, Ola's last name is Phipps. She's my second mom. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Absolutely. And that story is 
a story which which not just speaks to how you can stand out because it, there's so many things in there which actually she's taken things that some people would see as a disadvantage. Uh, she's flipped it on its head and actually she's made that into a separating factor. And I think that's a really powerful message because lots of people go into business and, oh, well, I've got this disadvantage. I've got that disadvantage. I've got this, I'm you know, whereas... I'm too young. They won't exactly. I'm black. Okay. Or, 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 or I'm a woman. I'm young. I'm having, hey, they, they're going to remember me. All these gray-haired white guys, and here's this beautiful, long-haired, uh, beautiful black woman. They're going to remember me. It's, it's interesting because that resonates very much with me. I, I mean, I started my life as a medical salesperson. My cousin oh, is oh, a doctor. Medical sales? Oh, I know you smart now. Because, hey, <laughs> hey, man, y'all have to, y'all got to talk to them doctors and all of those uh, nurses and, and the, the, the knowing the codes and the equipment. Oh, man. Go ahead, brother. I, I'm familiar yeah. with you. To be honest, for the first day I did it, I loved it. Lots of people didn't like it. And I wanted to go into it because I was, I was a scientist at university. I knew I didn't want to do science. Right. I knew I liked talking to people. I knew I liked actually, you know, conversing. So I decided to go into medical cells. My, my cousin is a doctor. My sister works in clinical research. Both of them were saying, no, 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 don't do it. They treat, Because in England, they don't, in England, they don't treat the salespeople the same as they do in the US. So they said, no, you won't, don't want to do it. And then, and then my cousin was saying, and, and there's no black people who do that sort of job. You've got no chance. And I went into it, and similar to Ola, I was like, well, if I'm the only black guy, everybody's going to remember me. Everybody's going to remember me. So actually, I can utilise this. And, and actually, and I did utilise it, and I got into lots of places, and there wasn't many black people at that point, certainly. But I used to, I used to actually say, you know, when I was going to receptionists, and receptionists were saying, oh, well, yeah, I'm not sure. I said, just tell him it's the black guy. And they would say, well, being the black guy, you, you can't be the only one. I said, I can assure you, I'm the only one in this area. And then people yeah. knew who I was, even without seeing my card. Right. So, so it is, it is really important that if you have a unique selling point, that you utilize that, and you, you're not afraid of, of actually using things that do differentiate you. That people, Absolutely. other people, like my cousin, like my sister, may well think of a disadvantage. It's about your mindset. It's how you view it and how, what you do. So, just, just based on that. Because I, that story about Ola was really powerful, I think, and, and all the stuff she did. It's, it's, it's almost like about consistency and branding, isn't it? That she's always going to be with the ladybug. So ladybug then becomes synonymous with her. So how important is that in all businesses to make sure there's a consistency of branding when you're trying to stand out from the rest? It's incredibly important, Hakeem. The thing that is vital is that you embrace whatever is your brand with who you truly are. If you look at Mercedes, they, they say, no, the, the best or nothing. If you look yeah. at BMW, <laughs> the ultimate driving machine. If you look at Nike, just do it. These yeah. are brands that are synonymous with who they are. And every time you think of those brands, you think of that motto. So when you think about where your brand is, Choose a brand that is who you really are. If you are not upbeat and energetic, don't make that your brand. If you're not a detail-oriented person, don't make that your brand. If 85% is okay with you, don't say perfection is our brand. You've got to make sure that the brand is more than just something you say. The brand has to be something that you maintain. The brand needs to be who you truly are. My brand is as the attitude amplifier. I bring energy. I don't care if it's a phone call or virtual meeting or one on one. This is what you're going to get. If you don't want this, don't holler at your boy. <laughs> so, well, well, and, and, and it's interesting because obviously we had, a, we had we've had a call. We've had a couple of communications before this call. And my, my wife said, obviously, I'm, not, I'm, I'm in the US at the moment. And I just said, oh, yeah, anyway. Don't disturb me. I'm going into the office. I'm going to do a podcast with a real high energy <laughs> American guy. So that's exactly how I was doing. when I was trying to explain to my family what I was doing. Because, right. because you're right, but just the very first meeting, you know what I'm going. To, I know what I'm going to get. I know I'm going to get energy. I know I'm going to get interest. I know I'm going to get enthusiasm, and I know I'm going to get great clips, which is even better. <laughs> I always wear this button, which is the letters U M scratched out. So when you speak, your boy going, um, um, ah, ha, ha, yes. 
even on my voicemail, Hakeem, I'll leave it with, if you want to stop sounding dumb, stop saying um. Very good. Very good advice. <laughs> so you've got to be consistent with your brand. And as a speech coach and as a presentation expert, you've got to model that. Where if you are consistent in your brand, people don't have to question what I'm going to get. Whether you buy a Mercedes that's a 2010 or 2015 or 2023, you know the quality you're going to get. If you go to a, a McAllister's or a McCormick's or a Ruth Chris Steakhouse, whether it's in Alabama or whether it's in Los Angeles, you know the consistency of what you're going to get. And what we need as small business owners and entrepreneurs is to make sure that our brand is consistent in a good way. Because as we mentioned with the restaurants, sometimes what you become known for is not a good thing. And that becomes consistent. And it's so hard to overcome that. If that's what you've shown consistently, that becomes part of your brand, too. And it could hurt your business instead of helping you. No, and I think that, yeah, the, the consistency, I think, is key. And I think it's a lot easier and I keep coming back to this, it's a lot easier to be consistent if you're authentic, because then that is you. You know, when I used to coach people on interviews and when I used to go to interviews myself, and, and now that I'm a business owner, my view is, this is me. Right. And this is what you're going to get. So if you don't like it, that's self-selecting my, my, my customer group, because actually I want to work with people who get me and want to work with me not somebody another version of me because if you go into an interview and that's always my view if i go into an interview and i pretend i'm somebody i'm not when i get the job invariably i'm going to struggle because i can't keep a mask on uh 24 hours a day whereas if i don't get the job well they don't want somebody like me so let me go somebody else where they want somebody like me and then i can enjoy my job and that's and that's why i've actually been very fortunate because everywhere i've worked whether it's been as a consultant whether it's been you know when i'm working for people I've enjoyed it because I, I gravitate towards places where they like somebody like me. So I always enjoy my environment. Whereas if I go in and pretend I'm somebody else, you get in there and you think, oh, and they're, they're looking at you thinking, that's not the guy we interviewed. Who's this guy? Uh, so I think authenticity to me. I was at a conference where I was one of the breakout session speakers. And when you talk about authenticity, it made me think of this, Hakeem. There were three rooms. They put me in the middle. So there was a class on my left side and a class on the right side. The location only had two microphones. So the AV person says, well, Mr. Phipps, you probably don't need the mic as much as the other two. Is it okay if I give the microphone to the other two? And I said, no problem. About 10 minutes into the presentation, we're laughing, we're high-fiving. I had a bunch of people in the room. And Hakeem, almost simultaneously, both the speakers from each side came into my room and they asked me, sir, would you please turn down your microphone? I said, I'm going to turn Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. you, you got to be who you are. And at that event, somebody said, I want that guy to speak at our conference because if he can distract other speakers and he brings that energy... Imagine what he'll do on my big stage. So if I would have been something less than who I really am, that would not have been authentic. And to stand out, be okay with your true authenticity, but don't be like, well, I'm kind of this way. Own your color, own your race, own your hair, own your voice. Be okay with being fantastic because if they buy you, you got to show up anyway. So might as well be yourself when you get there. No, no, yeah, you have to be, and 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 it's and it's too difficult to try and be somebody else for a long period of time. If it's, it's, it's and also you, you don't enjoy it. I, I mean, I, 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 the amount of times I've advised people, even who work for me, maybe you want to go and do something else because you're not enjoying it. And yes, well, you're getting okay. money. Yeah, but if if you go and have a job, and that's the point, if you don't want to be on, it's okay. Exactly. Go, go, go and work. Go, go and find. And, and even with my kids, which is which is strange for me because I <laughs> I was brought up in an African household where basically you, by by the time you're five, you know that you're going to do you're going to go through to university and probably do a master's. Um, <laughs> exactly. So when I was growing up, I think yeah, that's what my kids are going to do. And now 
that have got kids and they're growing up and they're getting to the age where they're going to, they'll be at university. You start thinking, actually, and my advice to them is find something that you enjoy. Find something that you think that you're going to be good at because you're going to have to do it for the rest of your life, potentially. Find it. That's it. Because if you find something that you're good at and you enjoy, you're you're probably going to be able to make money from it, to be honest. (laughs) So so go go and do that. You look kind of young, Hakeem, but I'm going to ask anyway. Do you know who Robin Williams is, Hakeem? I do. Uh, Yeah, the actor. uh, In fact, I'll I'll give you a hint to my age because I actually was, I actually was, uh, how old was I? Probably eight or nine when Mork and Mindy was first aired. What you know about Nanu Nanu? I know Nanu Nanu. One of my students came to me after our first speech class. I'm also a professor of public speaking at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. And one of my students came up to me, and he was a young man, probably 19, 20 years old, and he was, he spoke like this, and this was his natural way of speaking. And I get it. Nothing wrong with that. When I showed him some videos of how to use hand gestures, how to make eye contact, how to raise his volume of voice, I ended up letting him know that you need to show more energy a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit more than your normal that's going to make you more engaging. He said to me, Professor Phipps, I will never be as engaging as you are on stage. That's not who I truly am. And I said back to him, I understand. I just want you to be the best version of what you're capable of. I don't expect you to get on stage and look and sound like Robin Williams. My student asked me, who's she? Oh dear, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of my it's, quite, it's horrible. It's horrible when that happens. When you realise you're getting old because you use references that every that everybody used to always understand and laugh. And then now people are looking you thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. You're like, oh, oh right, man. I need to I need to change my references. Man, I told my student, I said, quit repeating yourself in your speeches. It sounds like a broken record. Professor Phipps, what's a record? <laughs> yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But, 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 but to your point, actually, and it's a very interesting one because I used to think when I was very young that everybody had to be like me to be successful. So I remember the first time I became a trainer in sales, and I went out with this guy who's who's very similar to the student you're just talking about. He was he was a quite a, a, a I wouldn't say repressed, but he was he was quite a repressed guy. He. Oh, he, he Oh, low energy. Yes, low energy. Low energy is a better word. Yes, he was a low energy guy. Uh, he'd actually started medicine. He'd come out of medicine then become a medical rep because he decided, I mean, his dad was a, a doctor, uh, but then decided he didn't want to do it. And I remember going out with him and I was getting really frustrated because he was going into places and I go in high energy and I'm speaking to receptionists, laughing, joking, and I'm getting in there. And he's standing there chatting to them in a really slow, monotonous tone. And I'm thinking, what on earth? But then he gets in. I think, oh, and then he's in there. He's in there for like an hour, right? So by the end of that day, I'm thinking, actually, so there is a different way to be successful, and it's about being you. And right. also, the area he worked, he was perfect for that area. If I'd gone in like I went in, I'd have been very unsuccessful. And gotcha. what, the reason why I'm thinking about that is because if you look at some of the most successful people, the likes of Mark Zuckerberg, not a high energy speaker at, in any shape or form, Steve Jobs. Not 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 high energy at all, but very engaging, and that's because he was he was authentically him. He wasn't trying to be somebody else. He's Hakeem. <clears throat> he's probably that way if he orders a pizza. Yes, exactly, and that's the point. Jeez, thank you. I mean, that's that's who he is. Exactly, but, but he engaged people for an hour because he knew his audience. He knew how to pitch to his audience. And, you know, if you think about it, the launch of his products, which are are always to a a group of very friendly people, to be fair, and whether the customers or not, but they become people going on YouTube to listen to him. What if Steve Jobs tried to be something he wasn't? What if he tried to tell jokes? What if he tried to do a dance? What if he tried to do a rap? That's not who he is, and that's on the show. So his success, despite that he's freaking brilliant, his (laughs) his success is... This is who I am, and this is me authentically, and that's what's respected. 
Yeah, no, no, 100, 100%. And, and, and so, so we're doing all these things. We're being authentic. We're understanding our audience. We're understanding the needs of that audience. We, we're supplying and giving them what they require. And that's obviously inevitably taking you above what the average person does. How do you then start to measure what you're doing because you're trying to improve? Do you just measure it from, okay, I'm now getting more clients? Or are there things that you can put in place that can measure your stepwise process and, and, and improvement? My father told me, Hakeem, that the only way to have a backup plan is to first have a plan. <laughs> Too many small business owners, they have these ambiguous goals. I want to be successful. I want to have a quality product. I want to make more money. If your goals do not have numbers in it, you're just wishes. Yep. You need to have, I want to this much money in 100 days. I want to have this many clients by this number of days. I want to have this certification. I want to earn this degree. I want to have this many number of customers. You've got to have start dates and end dates and something quantifiable. Now, it's going to be different based on your business. But let's say you want to start a lawn service, landscaping. Your goal might be we want to cut 100 yards this month. That now, big yard, small yard, just 100 yards. Then the next month you may see, we have spent $500 in gasoline. We want to look at two different types of lawnmowers that can cut the same amount of gas with less fuel to cut our cost by 20%. Then let's say by the first year, you want to say, no matter how many customers we had in 2023, we want to increase that by at least 25% for 2024. These are all measurable goals that don't matter. If you have 10 clients, then the next year you want to have 16. Next year you want yeah. to have 23. If you made $100 that day, make $144 the next day. The way that we end up failing is that we don't know how to set goals. We don't know how to budget. We don't know how to set quantifiable metrics. So there's always something in front of us that we can aspire to, Hakeem. And when you leave these goals up to chance, life, your budget, your resources, and your emotional and intellectual energies will be drained because you don't know where you're aiming and you're blasting all your bullets and you haven't hit anything. And you've got to know how to focus on what you want and have something quantifiable. That's the way that you achieve your goals is by first knowing how to properly set them. I think that's 100% right. The, the amount of businesses you speak to and you know, they've read a book about big, hairy, audacious goals and they've got something just out there, but they've not really got anything that they can grab onto that actually, as you said, is in front of you where you're saying, right, now I've achieved that. You feel, and also, I mean, the, the achievement of the goal makes you feel more positive so that you then, you know, you're motivated to go for the next one and the next one. And the more goals you're hitting, the more confidence you get that you can deliver. On, on, on Goals on your terms where you are. If you are a startup tech company, you cannot have the same goals as Microsoft. <laughs> You've got to know where you are. It was a guy walking down the street, Hakeem, and he came up to me. The brother had on one shoe. It was a raggedy shoe. It was coming unraveled. His toes were sticking out, Hakeem. And I went to him and I said, brother, look like you're having a bad day. Can I give you some money? He said, I don't need any money. What makes you think I need money? And I said, well, you, you only have one shoe looks like you're having a tough time. He looked at me, I came and smiled and said, my luck is looking up, brother. He said, this morning, I found this shoe. Tomorrow, maybe I have another one. <laughs> you gotta know where you gotta have your own set of goals. <laughs> no, that, that's, that, that's true. What, what, what they say, in the, uh, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed uh, man is king. You know, it's... it's, 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 it's I see everything. Y'all don't yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Right. Exactly. It's, it's always about, um, you know, where you are and where you try to get to. And it's just as long as you're on a journey of continual improvement and moving Absolutely. forward. I mean, in, in fact, I remember, I think it's John McEnroe's book that I read. Uh, and he was saying that, the, you, know, the, you know, that in tennis, the key thing is always moving forward. Uh, both in terms of mentality, but also being on the front foot. And it's the right. same sort of thing, you know, when you talk about those top athletes, 
that's that's the thing that they always talk about is how do you firstly how do you get knocked down how do you get back up but also what are your goals and how are you continually trying to get from here to there and improve uh, yourself whatever uh, position you're in so so that's and, and just just on uh, we were just talking about obviously setting goals moving forward i just want to flip back a bit to this because you're a presentation expert storytelling i speak to a lot, a lot of people what role does storytelling fit into firstly what you do but then also how can you fit that into a business because when i've been speaking to successful businesses they say that you should always have a narrative or a story that you can tell about your business when you're trying to market that business remember this hakeem and this is for you and all of your listeners our audiences don't care about our story they care about how our story changes their lives or solves their pain or fixes their problem. Yeah. They don't care about what we went through. They care about how what we went through makes their lives better. You've got to have a story that encapsulates components of triumph and challenge. Give yeah. an example. Storytelling has been given a bad rep because people think that it's something hokey or something that is fabricated. The truth is, every time you talk, you're telling a story. The truth is that storytelling, some people, they just suck. They don't know how to tell a good story. They have a good message. They don't have a good delivery. Let me give you yeah. an example about what story that I share about the day I decided to start my own business. It was in 2007. And I talk about the importance of having a positive outlook and overcoming challenges, no matter what happens to you, Hakeem. I broke my neck in two places. I almost died. I had to take bone from my hip to rebuild the two bones that broke my neck, and they've been fused with two titanium screws. I had the same kind of accident as Christopher Reeve, who played Superman, and we yeah. lost it. When And I don't remember this. My wife now, girlfriend back then, my father, my mother, they all told this to me in different, in different ways. When my family was informed that I was in an accident and I'd broken my neck, they didn't know the room number, only the hospital. So they show up and they all found the hospital room because they all said they followed the sounds of laughter. <laughs> And they said that the surgeon and the nurses were all cracking up because even though I was in pain, I was cracking them up laughing about the stuff I was saying. When my mom asked, is my son going to be okay? The surgeon says to my mom, Mrs. Phipps, I don't know how well his neck will heal, but his mouth is just fine. That's when I started my day, where I knew I had something. So when I tell people, that's why I do this. That's why I train. I tell them that they know my background. And notice, Hakeem, how long did that story take for me to tell? Probably, well, a minute, minute and a bit. You don't need a 15-minute story to get your point across. Yeah. Well, I don't have to talk about determination, drive, don't give up. In 45, 55 seconds, that true story, which I practiced a lot, which really did happen, that's my way of telling people, here's why I think it's important that you know how to tell a story. Here's why you need to have something captivating about why you do what you do. And with that story, it resonates with people on a personal level because I came before they trust your product or service, they have to first trust you. Yeah, that's the key of storytelling, isn't it? Because, I mean, humans are predisposed to, as as long as life has been around, people tell stories, sit around the campfire, tell, people love stories. But, right. as you said, people love engaging stories which resonate with them, not just, uh, as you said, a 15-minute story. And actually, it's interesting because, you know, I, you do lots of videos, I do lots of videos, and the attention span of people over the, over since 2007 has reduced significantly. It used to be, you know, even if you went back five years, it'd be like, oh, yeah, as long as it's under five minutes. Then it was, oh, well, it has to be under two minutes. Now it's TikTok. It needs to be under 60 right. seconds. Yeah. And I think whilst it's, it, you can say it's irritating to some people, it's, I think it's really good in honing your ability to connect with an audience and tell a story short and succinct because most people will write down what they want to say 
and it's about 10 minutes. It's a 10 minute flipping lecture. Like you said, with TikTok and with YouTube and Instagram, you don't have, you don't have 15 minutes of time. You may have seconds sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Just being able to tell a good story, there's takes technique and practice. That's why you want to hire someone to teach you how to do it. Be because of, I, I do voice work, Hakeem. I'm yeah. also a actor. And I was at a place called the Cat's Meow, which is the world's largest karaoke bar in New Orleans, Louisiana. And there was a person who had heard me speak, and they said, oh, with a voice like yours, I'm sure you're just phenomenal as a singer. And they asked me, can you sing? And I said, yes. And they said, oh, you got to do something. So they put me on stage at a karaoke bar where I did the song Kiss by Okay, Prince. yeah. And Hakeem, I was horrible. <laughs> I was I was laughably bad. I couldn't I mean, I was just atrocious. Because I can hit those notes. So to get on stage, half the people were clapping because they were just in, in, in embarrassed for me. The other half were because I got off stage. And when the guy came up to me, sir, you told me you could sing. And I said, I can. You didn't ask if I could sing well. <laughs> yes, exactly. So everybody can tell a story, but can you tell a good one? That's the difference. Yeah. And that, that that is the difference. So so we're coming to the close of the hour. I, I, I just realized we've, we've been on for an hour. Fantastic. I, 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 I love it when time just goes and you don't know how long you've been on. So so what are the, because we've talked about all of the things that you need to do to stand out from your competitors. What are some of the common mistakes that a business makes when trying to differentiate themselves that you may have seen? And how can you avoid them? Here here's here's two things, Hakeem, that we want to do to be successful as business owners and to stand up for competitors. Two things. Number one, stop selling your product before you understand their problem. Yeah. Don't show up with, we have a sale on transmissions, but my problem is my muffler. <laughs> we have this, a, a buy one, get one free roof today, but my gutters are leaking, it's not my roof. Stop selling the product before you understand the customer's problem. That's number one. Number two, think ahead about what problems they're going to have and then sell that solution. Think about problems they have. I'll give you an example, King. One of my clients is wanting a certification. He does not want to spend $50,000 on a degree. He does not have two or three years to go back to school. He doesn't want to do a virtual. He doesn't want to do a pre-plan. So his problem is, I need some type of credential, but I got a lot of time or a lot of money. So our company created what we call the ACE certification, the accredited communication expert. I looked up some research to find out what it takes to be accredited in their industry. And I met about half of the credentials and I took about another two or three months to get the credentials to be certified. So I created this certification program just for him that he received in about eight weeks at a fraction of the cost. After he found value, I asked him, who else do you know would want some initials after their name, some credentials after their name, something that nobody else has? And he said, well, could you teach this to my entire staff? So now they all go through this certification. And here's the thing, crazy thing, Hakeem. Part of their company's getting a raise is... You have to have gone through my certification program to get that raise. So you want to look ahead at what problems people are having and then find a solution for it. Okay, so that's, uh, yeah, I've got those two. Step, stop selling your product before you understand their, uh, their problem and look ahead for the problems that they may have and actually give a solution that, because that's obviously going to allow you to stand out again. So we're going to wrap up. So you could summarize it doesn't have to be five key steps. I always like five key steps, but it could be any key in any number of key steps. Just summarize the key things that make you stand out what, that we've been talking about, just so that people have got a, a nice and, and also it makes a very nice clip. Uh, um, um, yeah, just just, 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 give, just give me five, five five things or a, a few a few things that you'd say. Yeah, bang, 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 bang. Okay. Since we're running short on time, I'll give you four. Is that okay? Okay, perfect. That's fine. <laughs> Think of, think of the word true. 
T-R-U-E. Number one is target. You've got to yep. know who your audience is. If you're selling hot wings, then the vegan convention is not your audience. Yep. Number two, number two is reasoning. You've got to understand what problem your company or your product solves. You've got to know what is their pain point. Number three is you for unique. You've got to know your why. I mentioned I broke my neck and I don't want my voice to go unappreciated. So I want to teach others how they can be effective in their public speaking skills. That's why I do it. You've got to have your why about why you're doing this. Because people want to ask you, why are you doing this? Why did you choose that profession? If you give a compelling answer, you're going to stand out. And the fourth and final thing, Hakeem, is E for expertise. You've got to be a continual learner. Go to school. Get a mentor. Read through books. Go to training. A degree is not always an end-all, be-all of skill. Get some training for somebody. Don't assume a master's will get you clients. Don't assume a doctorate will get you paid. Your skill, your value will get you paid. So find out what knowledge you need to be in that upper echelon. So know your audience, know the problem you solve, know your why, and be a continual learner. Those four things, T-R-U-E, will make you stand out and be true. Vincent Fitch, I'm not going to say any more after that because that's a perfect ending to the podcast. Thank you very much. That has been, as I expected, entertaining, informative, and I know that my audience is going to absolutely love it. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Hakeem. And keep doing what you're doing, brother. It is needed and appreciated. Thank you, Hakeem. My pleasure. Another great episode of the Hands-On Business Podcast with me, Hakeem Adebi, and in this case, Vincent Fitch. I think you now all know why they call him the Attitude Amplifier. I really enjoyed the time within the hour that we spent today. He gave loads of actionable tips, which is what I always want for my audience. And if there's only one thing that you remember from what he said, remember, always be true. T being for target, R being for reasoning, U for unique, and E for expertise. Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.thesalesaccelerationformula.com. And as always, subscribe, like, and share with your friends, colleagues, and anyone else who you think may be interested. But most of all, keep the feedback coming so that we can continue to improve and give you more of what you like. Hope you enjoyed this as much as I did, and as I always do, keep listening and keep growing.